one will be passed to you. The amount of times I've sat um, in the service uh, when what I wrongly call the prelims are going on, that means everything before I speak. <laughs> Thinking, oh, come on, come on, come on. Um, I think it's nerves, really. I want to get over, uh, get over with what I've, I've got to say. And uh, when Julie said to me this morning, uh, you're on first, I thought, oh, wow, it's put me right on the back foot. <laughs> so I'm not going to wish that so often in, in the future. But it means I'll go home straight away and get home, Eddie. Um, <laughs> no, no, I won't. Oh, particularly as I've been given a gift. I will, yes. <laughs> That's the way to keep your speaker, keep the gift. Anyway, Luke chapter 16. And uh, you're in the middle of a series looking at uh, uh, various incidents from the life of Luke, uh, in the life of Jesus. Are oh, you going through the whole, the whole book? Excellent. So you've been on it for quite a few weeks then, I'd imagine. And you've got to chapter 16. And verse 19, uh, the heading in my Bible is the rich man and Lazarus. We read this. There was a rich man who dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores. And longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he has been comforted here, and you were in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Right, a very interesting passage. Um, I don't know if you're aware, on the 23rd of June, there's a vote taking place. <laughs> you may have sort of missed you. A little bit like yesterday, we heard Muhammad Ali's died. Gosh, that's news. Um, is that all right? Do I need to do anything? No? Is that this thing? If you keep it on here, I won't wander far. Right, are we okay? EU referendum. Oh, right, where's it going, you might be thinking. Um, don't worry, I'm not going to get into uh, the pros or the cons of that. I'll be like the BBC, perfectly balanced uh, with this. Um, 
But I've been told that there are two main issues that are driving the decision-making regarding which way people will vote. One is immigration. Should we have uh, tighter control over our borders, etc., as to who comes into the country? And the other one is the economy. Are we going to be better off as individuals or as a nation if we stay in or if we go out? I think even this morning I was listening to the radio on the way down. The latest argument that David Cameron has put in is that mortgages will be more expensive if we come out. And the other side are saying, oh, no, that's just part of the scaremongering tactics of, of that side. Anyway, so that's the argument, isn't it? But this business of wealth, the economy, most elections, I think, come down to that. Um, the bottom line is usually the bottom line in most decisions that are made. How is it going to affect me as an individual, my family, us as a nation? And this issue of wealth and how well-off people are is not a, a discussion, a, a debate that is something new and that's just something for the EU referendum. It's, I think, every election that takes place, it comes down to the economy. But it's an issue that dominates people's thinking and decision-making for thousands of years. And that is why Jesus spoke so much about wealth. I don't know if you've picked it up as you've looked through Luke's Gospel, but time and time again, there are mention made about riches. Some of them then you would have looked at. In chapter 12, Jesus tells a parable in response to uh, a question. Well, it wasn't a question. It was a, he was asked to make a decision about a debate between a family regarding inheritance. And Jesus told the parable about the rich fool, uh, the farmer who had a, a very good harvest and so decided to pull down his barns and build bigger barns and thought, that's it, I'm okay. And Jesus challenged his hearers with the phrase, you're a fool unless you are rich towards God. There's another value system that you need to think about. In chapter 18, you haven't got there yet, but Jesus has an encounter with a man that we called the rich young ruler. And his problem was riches. And Jesus told him to give everything away to the poor if you want to be rich in God's eyes. In chapter 20, you've got the classic phrase that is still known by many people today, but in response to Jesus' teaching on taxes and who you should pay taxes to. And Jesus said, you that you give to Caesar, you render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what is God's. Chapter 19, you've got the story of a taxman, Zacchaeus. And he's not just described as being small, he's described as being wealthy. But Jesus also said he was lost, despite his wealth. So you get this teaching on riches all the way through. And earlier in chapter 16, so I guess you looked at this recently, you had this parable of the shrewd manager. Who, who looked at that one? Did, was that you, Darren? Because I saw you were laying on your back on a Facebook photo. And so he said it was after your... I'm glad I didn't have that one, because that's a challenging one. Because Jesus seems to almost um, promote, well, shrewdness or being... Yeah, you, well, you know the story if you were here last week, so I won't go into it. But it was to do with wealth again. And Jesus concludes that part by saying you cannot serve both God and money. Again, teaching on wealth. And the response of the Pharisees to that was that they sneered at him. Why? 
Well, Luke adds his own comment on this because the Pharisees loved money. And I think one of the keys to understanding this passage that we've just read in verses 19 through to the end of the chapter is to understand that it's in the context of all this teaching that Jesus is giving, particularly his teaching on wealth and the attitude that people had in those days to riches. Now hear me out on this, but I do not think this is primarily to do with the nature of the afterlife. It's not a detailed description of what heaven and hell is like. It's to do with this life and what your attitude is to riches. So we're introduced to these two people, the rich man and Lazarus. Some of you might know that this is sometimes called the parable of dives and Lazarus. When I said that to my wife, when I told her what I was speaking on on Friday, she's sometimes interested in what I'm speaking on. Um, I said, I'm doing the parable of dives and Lazarus. And she goes, what? She I've never heard him called dives. Sorry, I have. Um, but dives in Latin means rich. And it's a name that commentators have given to the rich man in this story. I guess today we might not use that phrase. We might use a phrase like money bags, okay? That's a description of him. Money bags and Lazarus. However, Jesus chose the name of the poor man deliberately because the name Lazarus means God is my helper. And that was a specific choice because I believe that's fundamental again to understanding what the parable is about. But it wasn't just a random name he chose. He didn't just look around and say, oh, we'll call him this. No, specifically, Jesus chose a name that describes this man. God is my helper, Lazarus. And so we need to understand, which you probably then have been picking up as you've been looking through Luke, what the attitude was to wealth and riches in the days of Jesus. It was basically this, that if you were well off, you were deemed to be spiritual. If you were well off, you were blessed by God. You were approved by God. However, if you were poor, or you were cursed, you were being punished in some way. You were sinful. More significantly, and this really relates to this parable, if you were rich, you would go to heaven. If you were poor, you would go to hell. So do you see how Jesus is teaching turns upside down that common thinking of the day. Because the rich man didn't go to heaven. He went to Hades. He went to hell. The poor man didn't go to Hades, hell. He went to Abraham's side, heaven. So Jesus is teaching the opposite is true of what you are thinking. Wealth is not a guarantee of heaven. And neither is poverty an indication of God's disapproval. You need to think differently. You need to have a different value system when you consider what God thinks is important. Um, I may have told some of you this story before. It uh, concerns my mom and dad. They were married in 1948, still alive, um, just about going at the moment, planning another holiday. That's what retired people do, I'm told. Um, but when they're in their 90s, they're still doing it, which is great. Uh, but in 1948, just, just married, living in a small bedsit on the fringes of Leamington Spa. Hadn't got much money. Uh, Mom was a teacher. Dad worked at the local factory. And he used to ride to work on his push bike. 
got up one morning, found he'd got a flat tyre. Discovered that it wasn't uh, the inner tube that got a hole in it, but that the valve had failed. Um, don't want to get too technical here, but there was a little bit of valve rubber. It's like a, a tube, perhaps six millimetres, quarter of an inch long, uh, about quarter of an inch, well, no, eighth of an inch diameter, that keeps the air in the inner tube. And this bit of tube, this valve rubber, had perished. Hence, the tire had gone down. He hadn't got any spare. He had to get off to work. So he said to his wife, my mum, when you're in town today, can you get some more valve rubber, please? Fair enough. So mum went along to Norton's, which is the, uh, used to be the bike shop in Leamington Spa, and uh, went to the man behind the counter, because in those days, you, everyone was served. You didn't sort of help yourself. Went to the man behind the counter and said, I need some valve rubber. And the man came back and said, well, how much would you like? Now, my mum is far from stupid, very intelligent in many ways, but she's not from an engineering background. She's used to running up curtains and dresses and things like that, so she thought, well, I'd better get a bit of spare. She said, I'll have two yards, please. <laughs> if anyone is stupid in this story, it's the man behind the counter, because he goes, all right. <laughs> he pulled it off a sort of a coil thing on the back and measured out two yards. My parents, and what's 1948, how many years ago is that? 60, 70 years ago. My dad has still got some of this valve rubber. <laughs> it is garish today. It's well perished, but it's there. It's there. Now, what was wrong there? Dad was thinking in inches, in fact, fractions of inches. My mom was thinking in yards, okay? Different sort of value system. And that's what we need to do when we look at this parable here a different set of values, turning on its head the way that we usually think of these things. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying you cannot earn your way to God. You cannot earn your way to God. As I said, in Jesus' day, being righteous, being good, being accepted by God had to do with riches. <laughs> if you were rich, then somehow you had God's approval. Now, that may not be the thinking in our minds today. It may be, actually. We sometimes see riches as a blessing. But are there other things that we think, oh, that is a sign of God's approval, or oh, that's the way that we curry favor with God? Perhaps a generation ago, it was to do with being good. If I'm good, if I keep the Ten Commandments, then I'll be accepted by God. Perhaps these days it's more to do with if you're a tolerant person or perhaps if you're an educated person or a generous person. They're the standards that we use. And Jesus is saying, no, no. Those who are accepted by God are those who say, God is my helper. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to his cross. I cling. It's nothing to do with me or what I can bring into God's presence. You see, if it was, if it was a matter of being good or in Jesus' day, being rich, then how do we know when we've achieved the right standard? If being rich is the measure, well, do you have to be a millionaire or a billionaire or a multi-billionaire 
before you're accepted by God. If it's goodness is the measure, how good do I have to be? Well, it's impossible to measure, isn't it? Acceptance with God is not dependent upon those things. But for us, it's by trusting in Jesus. By trusting in what God has done for us in Jesus. Rich or poor or old or young, no matter who you are, what situation you're in, the thing is that you need to rely on what God has done for you. You need to say, God is my helper. Not me, not my wealth, not my goodness, not my tolerance. It's to do with what God has done. So that's the first lesson of the parable. You cannot earn your way to God. It's nothing to do with riches or whatever else you might put in its place. The second thing that Jesus teaches from here is this, that choices made in this life have a consequence on the next. Choices made in this life have a consequence on the next. The rich man, according to Jesus, uh, concentrated on dressing well, verse 19, living in luxury. And perhaps more importantly, it's inferred that he ignored what God had said through Moses and the prophets. He concentrated on living the good life, but basically he shut out of his life anything that God had said. And choices made now, even today, this morning, can have eternal consequences. Um, some people are saying with this whole EU referendum business, um, is there a third way here? You know, do I have to decide in or out, or shake it all about? Do I have to <laughs> decide in or out? Perhaps we can come out for a few years, and if it doesn't work out, we can say, sorry, will you have us back? All right? And people say, no. No, the decision you make now is permanent. That is it. And that's why it's such an important decision. The decision's irreversible. The rich man's choice to live in luxury and to ignore the voice of God sealed his fate for his future. And there wasn't a second chance. One thing I believe that this parable does teach us is that hell is a real place. And it is to be avoided. And the choice that we make now determines whether or not we will go to that place. So we cannot earn our way to God. It's by trusting what God has done for us. And a choice made in this life will have a consequence on the next. And then the third thing I think Jesus teaches is this. Don't expect more evidence than what's been given. Um, it's interesting that the rich man's concern for his family came at the wrong time, didn't it? It came too late. We might say, well, what I'd like is a bit more proof, please. I've been sitting here perhaps for some time here at Abbey, hearing what people say about Christianity and about Jesus, and yeah, but I'd like a bit more evidence, a bit more proof. You know, one or two miracles would be nice, please. Or what I'd like is an intellectually outstanding argument that will just blow away all my questions. Or perhaps like the rich man, um, I'd like to see a dead person come back to life, please. 
And Jesus says, no, that will not convince you. It won't. Even the raising of a dead man will not convince you. Jesus says, there is enough evidence already in the word of God what God has said through Moses and the prophets, and we have more, we have the rest of the Bible as well. God has already spoken. And you've heard his word. And you need to respond to what he is saying. The issue is not more evidence. The issue is, are you responding to what God has already said to you? Another thing that Jesus spoke a great deal about, and I'm sure you're picking this up on, as you go through uh, Luke as well. He didn't just speak about wealth and riches. He spoke a great deal about listening and the importance of listening. Perhaps two of his most famous parables, the parable of the wise and the foolish builder, yeah, is to do with listening. It's the person who listened, and what Jesus meant by listening was not just hearing, but hearing and obeying. That's what the Bible means by listening, to do something about what you have heard. Well, that was the wise man. Jesus spoke the parable of the sower. What's that to do with? It's to do with how well people listen. And the seed that produced a good crop were those who listened and obeyed the word of God. Those aren't parables about about building practice or about farming practice. It's about listening. How well do you listen to to God's word? Where there is no application, there's no fruit. Where there's no application, there's no foundation. And some of us, perhaps some of us here this morning, have heard God's word for months, for years, and yet we're still resisting it in some way. God is saying, you need to obey what you've already heard. So three main points, I believe, this parable has got for us. You cannot earn your way to God. What we do in this life has a consequence on the next. And don't expect more evidence than what God has already given. I I know when you first read this parable, particularly if you read it out of context, you can jump almost to one or, or two conclusions. You can get the idea that, oh, this is a parable to do with justice, that the rich get their corruptance in the end. And poor people get their reward. I, I don't think this is that what's being said here. Or another response is we can almost recoil from this passage because we don't like the picture of the afterlife. We don't like the idea of flames and torment and agony. We do need to understand that when Jesus taught, he uses a pictorial, a metaphorical language. When he spoke of him being the door, We don't expect to see a knob and a letterbox, do we? We don't discuss what color is the door. Does it open that way or or this way? We know it's picture language. So here, when he talks about Abraham's side, that's not literal because Abraham would need a very big side to fit everyone in. It's metaphorical. It's picture language, isn't it, that's being used here? So let's not get sidetracked with the metaphors that are here, with what Jesus is saying. When Jesus used parables, and we're told that whenever he spoke to the crowd, he always spoke to the crowd in parables. He used other forms of teaching for his disciples. But to the masses, he always spoke in parables. 
parables are not like sermon illustrations. I use sermon illustrations to make things clear. Here's a point that I think needs illuminating in some way, so an illustration will shed some light on that point. Jesus said he actually used parables not to make things clear, but to hide things from people. Oh, that's a bit different. Jesus used parables to make people think. What's going on here? What's the purpose of this parable? And that's why we need to think about this parable. What is Jesus really saying here? Of course, heaven and hell are real places. But this is not primarily a description about the pleasure of heaven and the heat of hell. This is challenging your assumptions as to who goes to heaven and hell. And it's not those who trust in their own goodness or their own wealth that will go into God's presence. It's those who, like Lazarus, trust in God as their helper. Only in you do I have a hope of heaven. And a decision made now will affect where you go. And if you think you want more evidence, well, you need to listen to what God has already said. I have sent Jesus. You need to trust in him. When you do that, you will know where you're going. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Lord, through your word, by your Holy Spirit, challenge us, we pray. Help us not just to listen, to be hearers, but to obey, to be doers of your word, for that will make the difference. We ask this, Lord Jesus, in your name, for your glory. Amen.